presentation of Bethel Family Church. We hope you enjoy listening and that it helps you to grow closer to Jesus. Hey, good morning. It's great to see you. Um, Before I kick off, though, could we please just uh, spend a few moments just appreciating this band? Uh, Because these guys, they are great musicians and they have surrendered their gifts and talents to the Lord. While you are still home making coffee, they've been practicing. So, so let's, just start, let's just thank them for what they've brought for us this morning. They're, they're absolute champions. Absolute champions. Thank you so much for uh, bringing that real presence of worship here this morning. Uh, who knows the Lord inhabits the praises of his people. That means that he's here. He's here this morning, which is really exciting. Yeah, just want to introduce myself again. Thank you for that introduction. Uh, but uh, yeah, my name's uh, David. Uh, I'm one of the pastors at Riverland Central Church, which is an Axe Global Church in Berry, in SA. Um, a few months ago, you had my wife, Joella, come and preach. Um, she really enjoyed her time here in Wyala. I've not been in Wyala that much, so I've really enjoyed coming back. It was last year, a few years ago, and just exploring a bit. I've been for a bit of a drive around the town and uh, the city. You guys get to live in a city. That's pretty cool. We don't get to live in a city where we are. We're just a, a small community, the Riverland, uh, spread out over a, a whole heap of places. I have a particular uh, interest, a particular love for uh, rural churches. I've spent most of my life in rural areas. And rural churches are different to city churches. Uh, we're, a, we're a different flavor. We're a different sort of uh, vibe. And, you know, so often we look to those larger city churches uh, for our examples. And I think we need to stop doing that. Um, there's a different, a different dynamic in rural churches. We're so much more relational. Uh, we're so much more open, you know. You turn up and people, they all look at you. They all know who you are. And uh, there's an extra pressure, I think, for rural ministry families. So I just want to thank you guys for your friendship and your love. I want to thank you for... Um, There's actually a family connection as well in all of this, so I'm really happy about that. There's a picture on the screen of my family. I just want to show you that. Um, My wife, Joella, who some of you will remember from a few months ago when she came and visited. Uh, Those are our kids, Emily and Jack. So uh, Emily has just started in, uh, at university in Adelaide. She's uh, started uh, at Flinders there doing some studies. And believe it or not, our son Jack has just taken off as well. He's um, also gone down to Flinders to, to go to school in Year 10, the Australian Maths and Science School. So we're empty nesters all of a sudden. Uh, so my heart is bleeding. Uh, but uh, yeah, they're great kids. Uh, I'm, very, I'm blessed beyond what I deserve with my family. Uh, they, they're a really amazing family. And I, I just want to thank you uh, for appreciating them. Uh, thank you too for the kind things that people said about Joella when she was up a couple of months ago. Uh, don't expect the same today, <laughs> but it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Hey, um, yeah, I am punching above my weight. That's right. Um, I always say marry above. Be- marry someone who's more attractive and more motivated and smarter because then you can just get carried along. Yeah, it works for me too. Hey, um, As we kick off this morning, I want to read from Eugene Peterson's transliteration of the Bible, The Message. Uh, And the reason I want to read this is because there's some particular phrasing uh, in Matthew chapter 11 that I really want to draw out as we get into today. Uh, So this is Jesus speaking, of course. Um, 
And he says from verse 28 there, Are you tired? Yes. <laughs> Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Then come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Hey, I want to say this morning, if you've come into this space and you don't follow Jesus, you've never said yes to Jesus in your life, uh, this morning I want to say, this is the kind of life that God promises. You know, if we're in Christ, if you say yes to Jesus and you allow him to come and take over your life, if you say yes to his death on the cross for us, if you say yes to his sacrifice, if you say yes to his resurrection, and if you put your trust in Jesus, this is the kind of life that he promises. So I want to encourage you, if you, if you don't know Jesus, if you've never said yes to Jesus, if you know that you're not following Jesus, do that today. Make a decision to follow Jesus and then tell somebody about it. Because this is the kind of life that he promises. This is the kind of life that he promises. But for those of us who do follow Jesus, for those of us who've said yes to him and said yes to his sacrifice, is this the kind of life that you experience with Jesus? Do you experience real rest when you're with Jesus? Have you learned these unforced rhythms of grace that he's, he's talking about here? Have you learned how to live freely and lightly? I'm not seeing too many people kind of put their hands up now. We've got one. So, so feel free to come and preach this morning because uh, if, if that's the kind of life and experience you have, awesome. But, but I would suspect that that's probably not most people's experience. Probably most people's experience of Jesus and of following Jesus is very different to this. One of my passions, and you'll, you'll hear why in a moment, is to have a workable faith. And I believe that an honest, Bible-based walk with Jesus is possible and to live this kind of life. I, I believe that following Jesus works. I believe that he is that, that only constant source in this constantly shaping life. And that we can actually all learn to live freely and lightly. Who wants to do that this morning? Who wants to learn to live freely and lightly? Five of us. Oh, about ten. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. So today I want to tell you my own story. I want to tell you a story about one of my own experiences actually in the area of mental health. And I call this story the year my brain broke. You see, in the lead up to July 2017, I was not in a good place. I, I knew I was struggling in some areas, but I, but I actually didn't know how bad things were getting. I often complained about feeling beyond tired. I, I just felt like I was fatigued all the time and kind of walking through this fog. And people around me noticed that I was a lot less tolerant than I would usually be. I'd react to situations in really strange ways. I'd, I was either grumpy or almost expressionless. People would tell me something sad and I'd make a stupid, light-hearted comment. 
or they'd tell me something that was supposedly really exciting and I'd just come across as kind of flat and unemotional. Now, I thought I was just tired and I was needing a break, but little did I know, I was heading for a major mental health episode. I was, I was heading for this thing called burnout. Now, just to paint the picture a bit, I'd, I'd been leading our church at this time for about 10 years and for almost all of that time, I'd been part-time in, in my ministry, part-time in leading the church. You see, I decided very early on in ministry that the pastor's salary should never cripple the church. Uh, the church is so much more than supporting a ministry. So during that time, most of the time that I was leading the church, I was part-time. And I spent a lot of time kind of working my trade. And uh, like Kerry, my trade is as a social worker. I, I, I spent a lot of time um, working in social work and I spent a lot of time working in counselling and therapy. I, I worked for a government agency uh, providing counselling and therapy for kids and for teenagers and for families. And I carried these two roles for about 10 years. And I've got to say, for a long time, I did it really well. But slowly, bit by bit, these stresses grew. I lost both of my parents to cancer in less than a decade. And I had several relationships with really close friends break down. And there seemed to be nothing that I could do to reconcile them. And our local church, despite my best efforts, it just didn't seem to grow numerically. You know, we'd attract a few people and the church would sort of grow a little bit, but then some other people would move away or fall away. And a few key people in my life, they, they stopped following Jesus and there seemed to be nothing I could do to turn them around. The pressures in my job outside the church grew as well. The hidden workload, um, the hidden administrative workload in my therapy job increased exponentially. We seem to be seeing more and more complicated presentations. We, we seem to be carrying more and more risk. And the pressures in the church grew as well. And I felt like I was just scurrying from Sunday to Sunday. I never really had this chance to stop and reflect, to stop and consider. Do you know, I was terrible at taking a rest day. Really bad. Pretty much everything I did every day had something related to the church in it. And then two things happened. And my memory about this time is pretty sketchy, but uh, I'll tell you the story as best I can remember the details. The first thing is I found myself slumped on the kitchen floor at home. And I didn't know how long I'd been there. But I just couldn't stop crying. Now, I'm not a big crier, but I, I just couldn't stop crying. And my son found me there when I came home from school. And when someone tried to touch me, I'd kind of scurry away from them like a feral animal. And the second thing that happened was when we were away on holidays... While we're in Adelaide attending a very large church, um, as we're all sitting down from worship to, uh, to listen to the preaching and to, to be part of that, I had this full-blown panic attack in church. I, I don't know what happened, but Joella tells me that I, I kind of slumped against her with my limbs all contorted. and I, I didn't respond to her for a minute or so. I'm glad the lights were dim, because otherwise people would have thought I was manifesting or something, I guess, in church. But after these two things happened, I, I pretty much stopped. 
I slept. I stayed home. I didn't go out much. And I started taking sick leave from my two jobs to try and rest and to try and recover. I hoped it'd only be a couple of weeks and then I'd soon be out of it. But a couple of weeks stretched into a month, which then stretched into many months. And during that time, do you know, I felt awful. I felt just awful. I had these overwhelming feelings of despair every day. Who was I that I couldn't handle these things? I would exercise and as I would start to exercise and as my heart rate would start to increase, my brain would start to freak out, telling me I was having another panic attack. And the idea of being around any more than a couple of people, it absolutely filled me with dread. And my mind was constantly suggesting all sorts of stupid solutions to these problems. Now, without going too much into brain chemistry, essentially what had happened is I'd overloaded my brain with too much emotional stress for too long. And as a result, rather being driven by that rational part of the brain, that, that part that makes all the good decisions, um, I, was, I was basically being driven by my limbic system, you know, the part that says, don't die. That's what that part says. It just says, don't die. The part that's emotional, the part that panics, the part that constantly fights or flights. And you can say what you like about mental health problems. You can say what you like about whether they're demonic or whether they're a character flaw or, or whether they're about me having a weak will. But really, I want to tell you, mental health problems are no more demonic than having a broken leg. You know, we don't, if you see someone with a broken leg, you don't pray against the spirit of broken legs, do you? You just pray healing. And if anyone wants to criticize my character or my strength of will in all of this, do what I did for 10 years and see how you go. That's my challenge to you, you know. Too much emotional stress for too long. It just bashes you. It just bashes you. So I'd broken my brain. And the symptoms I was experiencing were as a result of this. So what did I do? Despite, just, uh, apart from stare at the walls, apart from hang out with my family, apart from try and rest, I did a few things. I went to the GP, went and saw my doctor and got on a, started a dose of antidepressant medication to try and get this chemical soup in my brain back into some sort of normality. I, I signed up to see a counsellor. You know, I'd been a, I'd been a mental health professional for uh, nearly 20 years and suddenly I'm on the other side of the equation, you know. I signed up to see this counsellor who had a, a special uh, expertise in pastors and burnout. And I read this book... Uh, it's a book called Sidetracked in the Wilderness by a theologian called Michael Wells. Now, this book had a profound effect on me. Now, it's an older book. It's, it's about 30 years old. And the author, he's, he's long dead. But I've got to tell you, it's one of the most profound books I've ever read. And aside from the Bible, this is probably the most significant book that has spoken to me about who God is and who I am ever. And I love this book. And if you want a copy, uh, it's a bit hard to get. You've got to order it from the US. But I've got to tell you this morning, if some of my story is resonating with you and you want a copy of this book, come and see me and I'll give you a copy. 
I've got a few copies with me and I'm, I just spread these everywhere I go. So if you want a copy of this book, come and talk to me and I'll give you one. I did lots of walking. Uh, we live near the River Murray and uh, I did lots of walking down on the floodplains near the river with my dogs. And I'd, I'd plug into instrumental worship music and I'd just try and let God spend, I'd try and spend as much time with God as I could and just allow him to love me, you know, try and, try and feel his love. And I actually rewired my understanding about what it means to follow Jesus, about what I needed to do, but about, more importantly, about what he does. It took me all of a year to climb out of this burnout experience. And I want to publicly honour those people close to me who um, carried me and carried our family and carried our church through that time. You know, my wife Joella and our kids and some other key friends that we've got, they assisted, they supported, they kept things running. They were incredible. None of us are designed to do this thing alone. Burnout's probably the hardest thing I've ever experienced in my life. And I know that I've been changed by the experience I've gone through. And I, I tell you this story not because I'm ashamed about it, not because uh, I, I kind of feel bad about what I went through. I tell you this story because I want to demystify what Christians often go through. And I fully credit Jesus with getting me through all of this. His love and his faithfulness have been so, so constant. So as well as telling you this story, I want to tell you some things that I've learned. Some things that I've learned as God slowly led me through this year that my brain broke. And I want to show you particularly today three truths that I have learned and I hope that they help you to avoid making the same mistakes that I've made. Now, some of these truths are going to seem really simple. And much of what I'm going to tell you now, I would have said, yeah, I understand this before, but there is a massive difference between having this checklist of beliefs and actually having a lived convicting experience of these things. So I want to tell you these three things. Here's the first one. I've learned that God's love, it's actually not dependent on my circumstances or my performance. God's love is not dependent on my performance. You know, that year of burnout, I wondered if I was ever going to work in any meaningful capacity ever again. You know, I'd spent months staring at the walls with this munted brain that I had. And after the kids had gone to school in the morning, I would just sit there on the couch and I would wonder. Now, I knew that God loved me. I, 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 I mean, I, at any point, I can close my eyes and I can focus on God and I can sense His love. It, for me, it kind of sits on me almost like a scarf around my neck or, or like a cloak, you know. It's not an emotion. It's, a, it's almost a physical sensation that I have of God's love. So I, I never doubted God but I certainly doubted me. I doubted whether I'd ever be able to work again. I doubted whether I had any worth as a person. I doubted whether I could be useful to my family or whether I would be the one that they'd have to carry for the rest of my life. But I had to, do you know what I had to do? I had to come to the understanding that even if I never worked again, even if I was never useful to my family ever again, even if I didn't have a family anymore, 
you know, that didn't change whether I was loved by God. What was important was that I knew God's love. His love for us is not in any way dependent on our performance. It's a gift of grace. It's a gift of grace. You see, in his first letter, John reminds us that God's love isn't measured by our performance. In, in 1 John chapter 4, from verse 9, he says, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we love God. Not that we performed well. Not that we obeyed the rules. But that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. You see, I had to learn that God's love isn't based on keeping rules. It's not based on working the system. God's love is based on who he is, amen? God's love is based on who he is. He's a God who'd send his own son to die for me. Now, I'm not talking here about whether God approves of my bad behavior. I'm not talking here about whether God likes the stupid things that I do, the selfish things that I do. What we're talking here is about the basis of God's love. My performance or my lack of performance, it doesn't affect one bit whether God loves me or not. But you know, so often we don't believe that. Not really. Because it, it does sound too good to be true. But I've learned that God is not particularly impressed with the things that we do or the things that we don't do. He's not particularly moved by whether our lives are a success or not. What God ultimately cares about is that we understand the security of his love, that steadfast, unshakable love. So I've learned, no matter what I do, God loves me. And everything I do comes out of that understanding of God's unshakable love. Here's the second thing. I've learned that idols don't work. I've learned that idols don't work. How many idols have you got in your home? How many idols have you got in your life? Oh, I haven't got any idols in my home, you might say. You know, I, I got rid of all the statues that I got in Bali and the ones that I got from the garden center uh, when I started following Christ. I, I read all those Neil T. Anderson books, you know. They said to, to smash all that stuff, to burn all that stuff, so I did it. Do you know, for you and me, for everyone on this planet, our absolute deepest need is something like, I need love and acceptance. I need somebody to love me and I need somebody to accept me no matter what. You see, we all have that, that deep loneliness inside of us, that deep loneliness that needs love and acceptance and security and assurance. But for whatever reason, because we're all broken, we all look to other things sometime apart from Jesus. We look to other places. And this is where my friend Michael Wells comes in. In his book, Sidetracked in the Wilderness, he asks this, where do you turn when you're under extreme pressure? Where do you turn when you're lonely or when you've failed at something? Where do you find your comfort? What are your coping mechanisms for getting through life? 
See, Michael Wells says that a coping mechanism is simply the modern world's term for an idol. And an idol is anything other than Christ we turn to when we're under pressure. Wow. You see, the Old Testament prophet Ezekiel, he was given a vision by God that told him to dig through the wall in the temple and describe what he saw. So this wasn't this wasn't a literal thing. This is a, a vision that he's had. And have a look what happens when in his vision, in his dream, Ezekiel digs through the wall of the temple. Look at what he sees in there. So I went in, it says in Ezekiel chapter 8, and I saw the walls covered with engravings of all kinds of crawling animals and detestable creatures. And I also saw the various idols worshipped by the people of Israel. See, there are idols right in the midst of where the people worshipped God. This is this perfect prophetic picture of the state of our hearts sometimes. You see, we're designed to be loved by the creator of the universe. But we hide a whole heap of other things in the place where we're supposed to meet with God and allow him to love us. A lot of idols are easy to spot. They're ugly, they're shameful, we don't want other people to know about them. You know, addictions like drugs, alcohol, smoking, gambling, sexual sins, adultery, pornography, sex outside of marriage, you know, we know that we're supposed to hush them up. We know that we're not supposed to let anybody else see them. They're easy to spot. We know those idols. But you know, there are some idols that don't appear all that bad at first glance. Some of them even look beautiful in the right context. Things like food, shopping, television, social media, clothes, a close family, sleep and rest, control, lying, manipulation, explosive anger, withdrawing, slander, greed. These ones are more sneaky and insidious because they're easily excused, they're easily accepted. But you know they can be harmful? Those things can be harmful when they're, not u- when they're used as substitutes for God. Some of these things, they might be idols for one person, but not for the next. Then there's a whole heap of idols that actually in church culture are seen as a good thing. These are the ones that are super sneaky. These are the ones that are super dangerous. Ministry can be an idol. Position can be an idol. Travel can be an idol. Success and perfectionism. Salary, a good family. A good Sunday meeting can be an idol. But here's the thing. God will not share his glory with anyone else. And he will not allow us to worship idols. And he will withhold his peace from those who do. You see, I had to realize that I held on to some idols. And there were places that I ran for comfort that were not God. So, in the interest of full disclosure, what have some of my idols been? Do you know, my own identity has been one of my idols. I've seen myself as someone who is able to work hard in very emotionally demanding roles and to do them well. I've seen myself as a clear thinker someone with lots of discernment and wisdom. 
Someone who can work and can provide more than enough for my family. The one who always says yes to the hard jobs. And I've taken huge comfort from this identity. And I just watch God strip it away and strip it away. I had a desire for success and popularity. And you know, that's a hard one. That's even seen as a good thing in the Christian world. It's seen as being driven. It's seen as being visionary. It's seen as wanting good things for the church. Do you know what? I really wanted our church to grow. I wanted to see people come flooding in and receive Christ. I wanted to be seen doing great things for the gospel. Things and a whole heap more that I had to take to God and say, here's how hopeless I am, God. I've put all of these things before you. I've used these things as, an, as a comfort. I've used these things as a source of, of, of going to something else other than you. Do you know what I know now? The only thing that will give me peace, the only thing that will give me comfort is him is God. Anything else is an idol. The third thing. I've learned to rest in God. And I just want to clarify this area of rest for a minute. Some people see rest as just completely vegging out, you know. Cramming Netflix, eating chocolate, going to brunch, that's, that's rest. Slopping around in bed, swiping TikTok, all of that. Now, plenty of people rest like that, but we're not talking about laziness when we're talking about rest here. We're talking about resting in God, resting in God. And of all that I've learned, this one has probably been the hardest one for me to maintain. See, I've been raised to be a worker. My parents, they were pretty simple working class people and they were always on the go. And, and they raised me to do the same, to, to be someone who got up and did the things, someone who, who achieved, someone who made sure that you went to bed at the end of the day and you'd, you'd ticked off your list of things to do. And do you know, it's the idea of resting in God, it's counter to many of the things that we believe we should do. I'm going to invite the band to come back because we'll be winding up soon. But the writer of the book of Hebrews, he tells us this. God's promise of entering his rest still stands. So we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it. For this good news, that God has prepared this rest, has been announced to us just as it was to them. But it did them no good because they didn't share the faith of those who listened to God. For only we who believe can enter this rest. See, what, what I want you to take out of this is for those of us who follow Jesus, the idea of resting in God is really, 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 really important. Because so many of us, we, we want to take matters into our own hands, don't we? We want to rush ahead. We want to achieve things on our own. And we're so slow to accept that if we follow Jesus... It's God who is in charge of our lives. It's God who is in charge of our time frame. It's God who is in charge of our schedule. But do you know what I've learned? I've learned to take on the attitude that Christ is always in my life. He's always working. 
And I've learned that if I'm ever separated from him, if I ever strike out on my own and I, I try and do things that are apart from him, then I have nothing to offer anybody. Without Jesus, I'm hopeless. And I've learned to wait on God easily. I'm not in a hurry anymore. I'm not keen to get all of the things done because ultimately it's God who does that work, not me. Do you know our church is actually moving ahead really well now? Um, We've got a baptism service too in a few weeks' time. We've seen probably eight or nine people come to Christ over the last few months. Uh, We're going through a big building program. We've hit capacity in our auditorium. But I don't take any pride in those things because it's not about me. It's what about what God is doing. And the same God who was there when our church was just doing this for 10 years is the same God who's working now. It's not about me. It's not about me. How am I doing now? I told you my story from a few years ago. How am I doing now? Do you know, even some years on, my experience still affects me. It's changed me. Even today, I I can struggle with motivation. Mornings can be really hard. My concentration has taken years to improve. If I have a very people-filled day, it ties me out in ways that it never, ever did in the past. Do you know the most important thing? The most important thing is that I'm more dependent on God. And my relationship with Him is easier than it has ever been in the past. Ever. As we wind up this morning, I I just want to circle back to Matthew 11. Are you tired? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I love that phrase. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, says Jesus, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Have you learned how to take a real rest? Have you learned Jesus' unforced rhythms of grace? Have you learned to live freely and lightly? If you know that you need to grow in those areas in your life, then this morning can I ask that you would stand with me and I want us to pray together. If you need to learn some of those lessons. Lord Jesus, as we stand before you, we bring all of we are, all that we are to you. But at the same time, God, we acknowledge that that's not very much. Without you, Jesus, there's not a lot that we have to offer. And Lord, for those this morning who are, are standing before you in a position of vulnerability, in a position of transparency and honesty, as they stand before you, God, 
I, I pray that you would remind them and you would build in them an understanding of your unconditional love. I pray, God, that you would uh, show them that your love for them is not dependent at all on their performance. It's, it's not dependent on keeping the rules. Your love for each of us, God, is dependent on what Jesus did. You're dependent, your, our love, your love for each of us, God, is dependent on your love for us. It's dependent on who you are. It's dependent on your character. It's dependent on Jesus. So Lord, I, I pray that you would help people to, to break free of this, the, the pressure of performance, the pressure of needing to do the right things for you. And that everything we do would come out of a sense of your love, your unchanging love. And Lord, for those who, who have idols in their life, God, whether they're those shameful idols or even those ones that are a bit trickier to identify, those, those beautiful or those admirable idols, they're all still idols if they get in the way of you. Lord God, I, I pray right now that you'll give people courage to, to smash their idols. You'll give people courage, Lord, to, to put down those things that uh, mean that your peace is withheld from them. Lord, you are the only one. You are the only one who, who we can come to and, and experience peace. The only one who will get us through this, this crazy race of life. pray now that people will be bold and courageous as they, as they deal with the idols in their lives. And Lord, for the workers in the room, those who know that the, the race of life is pulling them down and pulling them down, and they've been tired and weary for a long time, I pray, Jesus, that you'll teach them to rest. You'll teach them to rest, to rest not in, in laziness, not in slothfulness, but to rest in you, that rest that recreates us, that, that rest that graces us for the life that you want us to live. Lord, thank you that you're never in a hurry and you're never late. And thank you that we get to simply live in your rest. Lord, thank you for those who are realizing even now that their dependence on you needs to increase. Their dependence on you needs to grow. Help them to grow in that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more information or to listen to other podcasts, head to our website at BethelCRC.